I have a dream. When do we beat Mexico at the border? Now I'm in the chair and I can only assume that this is as strange for you as it is for me. I'm just back from California where I met the former cast of Friends. The big news in summer entertaining is to do it all at the beach. Yes, we can. I am happy that you have had the courage to put it directly. Hi, I'm Andy Lemasu, and this is the Presentation Fix podcast, where executive presentation coach, trainer, and speaker Beth Ann Galvin and I are teaming up to empower you with the knowledge and skills to make an impact every time you speak or present in public. Now, this week, Beth and I will get this puppy on the road by sharing why we've decided to launch this podcast. Then we'll have a chat with a special guest who's channeled her love of climbing into a thriving business and speaking career. And later on, Beth will share some practical tips on developing a winning mindset that will help you present like a pro. Sound good to you? Well, stick around. Honorable Malima, your time has expired. No, my time has not expired. Maybe we should just explain who we are and why we're doing this, hey Beth? Yeah, well, I just have an absolute passion for grooming and motivating business executives to reach the next level of presentation success, mainly because my 30 years in the business has indicated clearly that this fear of presentation is imminent regardless of a person's position in business. And I'm a broadcaster and entrepreneur, and uh, part of what that means is I amplify awesome messages and great ideas, and that's why I'm here. What we plan to do on the show is tap uh, the many, many years Beth has had in the business of empowering people to speak better and present themselves well. And um, in addition to that, we plan to have uh, a lot of uh, really forward-thinking thought leaders in the space who have many years of experience themselves at speaking, uh, at communicating, at uh, changing lives through the power of their voices and the images they project. And... uh, Today, we're pretty excited because we have an extra special guest to launch this podcast uh, with us. And I'm going to ask Beth to to do the introductions because you guys have a long history, yes? We really do. And I'm almost afraid to admit that it's been almost, I think, Deshaun, two decades since we originally met. And the way Deshaun Dazzle, our special guest today, and I met was we were both keynote speakers at a convention. And I was so taken by Deshaun's presentation and her caliber and her inspiration and her passion that she conveyed that I just knew that her and I were going to be covering some journey forward together in life. So Deshaun Dazel will share with you her unique abilities because it really is something quite unique. Um, so I'll leave her to share that with you. But she's also proven over the last um, two decades that I've known her to be a very competent businesswoman in a very specialized field and also a very popular facilitator for my business, facilitating training our highly recognized strategic business presentation skills training program and what a role model she is. Well, hello and welcome, Desha. Thank you, Andila. It's great to be here. I was hoping there was a little more glamorous story behind you first meeting. Something like, oh, we scaled Everest together or something. (laughs) Are you kidding? (laughs) 
Me. <laughs> well, Beth, um, one could hope, of course. And uh, Deshaun, really, thank you so much for not being on some peak in the world somewhere and being here with us today. Listen, we'll, 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 we'll start very casually today by, you know, having you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how it is you got into climbing very tall mountains. Uh, and of course, subsequent, uh, subsequent to that, uh, creating an amazing speaking career and a business around everything you have a passion for. So start where you will. Uh, Angela, thank you. It's really a, a quite an honor to be the first guest on such an illustrious platform. Um, I must say that it's a story I've told so many times over so many years, but I don't get tired of telling it. So you're going to have to rein me in when it comes to timing and so on. Uh, my first comment that I want to make is that climbing has quite possibly been a passion of mine since I was about five or six or seven years old. I don't remember the exact moment, but I do remember as a youngster how my grandmother used to relay stories about Edmund Hillary climbing Everest, and um, it, of course, coincided with Queen Elizabeth's coronation, so it was big news for her generation. And uh, so I grew up on stories of, uh, you know, just this idea of climbing big mountains, um, and it just so happened that we lived on a hill and we looked onto mountains from our house, so we lived quite high up um, in the Eastern Cape, and, and we had these beautiful, I now know that they're not mountains, they're just kind of rolling hills, you know, but they fascinated me um, because their colors changed from season to season. It was green one day and then blue another day and gray another day, and uh, we used to sit with my grandfather's massive um, army-style binoculars trying to see if there's any activity there, and uh, of course, I mean, it, it's just the fascination of the mountains that always been with me, so uh, when I finally had an opportunity to get into the mountains, I grabbed it with both hands. I was going to say, I mean, it's one thing to observe b the beauty of mountains and hills and so on, it's quite another to decide, hey, <laughs> I'm going to climb one of those, you know, so, so you know, w what is it about mountains that made you want to climb them? I would start answering that question by saying, what is it about me? Apparently, th this is the story, or these are the stories that go around in the families that I actually used to enjoy climbing. So before mountains came along, I had been found high up in a tree. In fact, I remember this. My favorite place to play was high up in a blue gum tree in the front yard. And um, I also uh, apparently enjoyed getting up onto the roof of our house. And, uh, you know, so climbing was just what I did. And the mountains is an accessory to that. <laughs> You know, Dash, you talk about mountains as though it's Table Mountain, and even that would be daunting for most. Even Kilimanjaro is just, uh, for you, it's just another day at the office. When we talk mountains, are we not talking something like Everest? And when we keep something like Everest in mind, how do you harness that motivation to keep going in such treacherous, you know, weather conditions, um, environments, etc.? You're absolutely right, Beth. 14 expeditions, apparently over five continents in 15 years. Oh, that's not child's play. Well, I mean, I, I think it should start with what do you really enjoy and what do you have a passion for? Um, so I really, really enjoy climbing. No one has to drag me. If someone goes, I've got a mountain to climb and I've got the time and, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Um, so it's the passion and the drive. And I find in my line of work that uh, when I study the patterns of high-performance people and people are really effective at what they're doing, it really first starts with they enjoy it. They set a goal with something they really enjoy and they really have a passion for. And then the motivation comes because even when things get tough on a mountain, if you really enjoy the act of climbing, uh, what will make other people give up is what will make you continue. 
So then as a metaphor for your approach to speaking, what is it about climbing that you apply to your, your career as a speaker and as a business person? Well, I suppose, uh, you know, one of the realities is that even though a technique works in one area, it might not work in another. So it's the awareness of that and then making a very deliberate choice to transfer what you know to different areas in your life. So, uh, for instance, motivation is a big thing on a mountain. If you're not able to internally motivate, then you can't climb. There are just so many risks involved. There's so many days of so many moments in a day of giving up where you can just say, well, you know, this is too tough for me. I'm going to turn around and go home. So that intrinsic motivation is a very, very key factor. And how I've brought that into my speaking career is there have been times, uh, I, I hate to admit, when I've actually gotten up and said, I really don't feel like going to this presentation. Uh, it, it, for a number of reasons. It could be far. I could feel intimidated by the audience. Um, I could feel like I'm not well prepared enough. You know, there could be a number of reasons that make me say, I really don't feel like going to the to do this presentation but then if one ha if you've been able to apply intrinsic motivation in one area you can draw from that lesson and from that learning and use the same technique so it's a thought technique so you ask yourself what is the benefit in doing this how would i feel once it's done um what do i like the audience to feel like when after i've completed my presentation so little by little just kind of coaching yourself into a positive mindset so that by the time you actually stand in front of the audience they can feel the positive energy that you're coming with instead of the dread <laughs> And what's the what's the best part of climbing? Is it pre preparing? Because I, I know you have to to train a, a great deal, you know, uh, unless of course you're uh, irresponsible and want to die. And then of course there's the actual trek itself. There's summiting and and the exhilaration of being up there. There's coming down. Which part of the of that process as a climber do you enjoy the most? I'm going to be naughty and say when the expedition's over, but <laughs> but actually there are times on the mountain when it's really exhilarating to be there. So I remember um, just before I got to Camp 4 on Mount Everest, which is just, just below 8,000 meters above sea level, I stopped quite deliberately and looked at how far I'd climbed. By now I was standing, standing at 7,900 meters above sea level, and I just couldn't believe the sheer expanse of what I was looking at. It's impossible to describe to people. But in that moment, it was such a moment of joy, you know, because I realized that my little feet brought me up to that point. So there are highlights like that. They don't last very long, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that on a three-month-long expedition like Mount Everest is, if you're waiting for just one big moment, like a lot of people just wait for the summit as the big moment, then the, the pursuit of it is almost empty. So it's like finding everyday things where you go, I'm so glad I got over that part because it was quite hard, or let me look at the beauty of where I find myself, you know. So as a woman, I suppose I'm oriented to thinking in that way, and it makes me enjoy the mountains more. I know, Beth, your approach to helping people get better at speaking and presenting themselves, you know, taps into some of those ideas where people often dread the preparation or the actual being on stage. or And, and most people uh, have a hard time even envisaging the exhilaration of people having enjoyed what they said, you know. And I know your approach to helping people out tends to um, help people uh, enjoy the entire process. That is absolutely my approach, is to take a holistic approach. But, you know, keeping Deshaun's mountaineering experiences in mind, 
you know, you can do all the preparation in the world, but you, the mind is a very powerful weapon. So I couldn't relate more to what Deshaun um, has highlighted in terms of motivation being key to being able to summit a mountain such as Everest. And this, you know, relates directly to the presentation world. So we can do all the preparation correctly. We can have ticked all the boxes. But if on presentation day we wake up and we allow our minds to talk us into a really negative corner, unfortunately, that's what's going to dictate on the day. I'm curious to know which modern day speakers, presenters inspire your approach to sharing ideas, to communicating your passions, sharing experiences you've had. Who, who do you look to for inspiration around that? Well, I must say, uh, if I use a local example, Trevor Manuel has always been a standout person for me in that regard because I think he was probably the most watched finance minister in South Africa. He didn't have visuals. He spoke from a piece of paper, and somehow he managed to engage the entire country when it came to budget speech time. And I think that in itself is such a, you know, an accolade for a person to just be standing there for two or three hours in some cases and, and presenting something as difficult as a national budget. Um, but the thing I, I found quite interesting about him is he took the diversity of South Africa in mind. So he used to quite deliberately put vernacular phrases in uh, from languages that are relevant in South Africa. Uh, he used humor. He was a very affable man, so he seemed approachable when he presented. You know, I, I think of previous budget speeches that were really like quite analytical, left brain, down to the T, and uh, you know, just get the job done type of presentations. And somehow, uh, when Trevor Manuel was Minister of Finance, he brought personality to his portfolio. Uh, so he would be probably my most, uh, my best local example that I can use. Okay, so please help me understand how you turned your passion for climbing, uh, how you shaped that into a talk that could change people's lives, and how you turned that into a business. <laughs> um, it is quite a, a, an interesting thing to try and wrap people's heads around because climbing is such a, an out there for South Africans. It's, it's almost an inaccessible concept. Uh, so to bring that down to a basic, practically applicable way for people to connect with is quite a challenge. Um, and I kind of like challenges. So, <laughs> so I thought, how do I bring my, my professional expertise, which is to work with people? I, I come from an educational background, so I spent a lot of time teaching and training uh, and helping people in that regard. So I thought, how do I bring the two passions together and turn it into an offering and actually be profitable and sustainable? And it just turned out that a lot of the time after a talk, people would say, could you come and also do this? Or could you explain how you do that? And little by little over the years, um, the the two ideas kept merging. So how does mountaineering work on a mountain? Uh, as how does motivation work on a mountain versus how does motivation work in, in the workplace? Um, or how do you get a group of people to rally around a common goal on a mountain versus how do you get them to do that in the workplace? So little by little, I've noticed that the climbing analogy actually works for people um, because it gives them such a tangible... Uh, idea, an image to use when it comes to those obstacles they need to overcome or things they need to persevere through, or even when it's just to create an analogy for themselves. You know, oh, this, uh, today is so hard, I feel like I've got to go back down to base camp, you know. So I try to to help people find the wording to describe what they're going through in the workplace. So in a way, my clients get a simulated climb without having to step foot on Mount Everest. 
And so what are you first, a climber, a teacher, facilitator, speaker, business person? What do you consider yourself first and foremost? What a loaded question. <laughs> Can I say all of the above? Because it's so hard to, you know, they all feed into each other and all of them form part of my identity. So if I had to say this is a ball and within this ball are all these little um, components. Or think of a Rubik's Cube maybe. I know a cube is a bit more rigid. Complex. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> complex. Com Are you complex? Uh, no. <laughs> so a Rubik's Cube has all these sides and they've got all different colors and you can change it to whatever you want, but it stays the same. The mechanism that makes it move stays the same. So I always think of it like that, uh, that all the colors work together, but it depends on how you turn the Rubik's Cube to make the colors um, kind of give you a different pattern of the same thing. That's a very apt analogy, yeah? It really is. And I couldn't agree more with Deshaun. You know, if you want to be sustainable in business, you do need to have all these components. And, you know, one, one on its own uh, might leave you at a bit of a loose end. So good for you. If one continues, to, for instance, if one continues to just be a speaker, that can run out because um, there are so many speakers and more and more people are becoming climbers, which means more and more people are jumping on the opportunity to be a speaker who speaks of climbing. Um, so, I mean, most people have the complexity of multiple skills and knowledge and experience. So if you can tie that together, in my case, it has become a sustainable business. Also, there are only so many mountains to climb, right? <laughs> Not really. The world has an infinite amount. <laughs> well, an infinite, but also, I mean, there are there are those that are the, sort of the notable mountains. So you get there are only fourteen thousand peaks above eight thousand meters, for instance. There are only seven uh, highest peaks on the seven continents, for instance. But the world is full of mountains. You know, not all of them fit into those categories. But I mean, there are lower mountains with a great physical challenge involved, and short amount. You know, shorter expeditions. They don't. They're not all three months long like Mount Everest. I mean, if you go climb in New Zealand, you can be up and down a mountain in five days and have a more exhilarating experience because of the sheer physical challenge involved. So, Deshaun, every one of our speakers, as we know, have just those little elements, um, secrets, tips that are unique to ourselves that allows us to give our very best and get the very best outcome. Can you share two or three with us? Perhaps the first one is not unique to me because it's a technique I learned from other speakers. I, there was a time when my speaking career kind of stalled and it seemed stale and stuck. And I thought, what, what is the thing that, that is not making me move to the next level? So apart from having had the experience of coming on the uh, presentation skills program that Beth Ann's um, company runs, that was a real eye-opener for me. It was a game-changer. Um, I also then watched those people who were really good at audience engagement. So David Malapo comes to mind. Um, I used to watch how the audience just eats out of his hand, basically. So I thought, what is that, you know? Uh, number one, he always started with a song. <laughs> Uh, and number two, before he even got onto the stage, he started smiling and schmoozing and shaking hands with people. And he was just sort of like he switched on and he was just this generally affable person all the way up to the stage so that by the time he stood on stage, the audience knew him and they had connection with him. And by the time he got introduced, people within the audience felt honored that they had actually shook hands with a speaker. And it took me a long time to overcome my shyness to do that. But I practiced and practiced, and I really, today, I can also switch it on. So I would say that's probably one of the key techniques I've learned as a speaker for audience engagement is not to just try and engage with the audience once you're on the stage. You need to do it way ahead of time. 
I totally turn uh, uh, host <laughs> in most scenarios. People hire an MC or a, or a speaker, invite me to, you know, and I just, you know, I can't help but help people get their drinks and, you know, and say hi. And there's an ulterior motive, obviously, because, you know, you really get in with the, the audience and, uh, you know, that definitely works for me. Sometimes can backfire because someone can say something that can put you off a little bit and you have to sort of turn, turn your mind off to maybe some... Yeah, that's just about mastering yourself as as a presenter. So um, I, I, there's almost a neutral neutral space in my head. If I had to pull out a chair for someone or offer them a drink, and they do something that's not, you know, they think I'm the help or whatever. I am the help actually, because that's what we speakers are. You know, we just get paid to come and say something and go away. Um, but the point about <laughs> <laughs> Beth is killing us. You know, you you just vocalizing something that I think but would never say out loud. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, sometimes when, when I have to introduce myself to someone and they go, so are you part of this organization? I'm like, no, I'm just the hired help. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> but it really, it really also just helps to relax people, you know, because strangely enough, there are audience members who feel nervous for you. So if you diffuse that with your own sense of humor and with a bit of affability before you go up onto the stage, they relaxed and then they get into your presentation straight away. That's so me though. Now I so love going to events and and talks and that kind of thing with my wife. These you know since I got married because I've got someone's hand to squeeze when I'm like dying for the person. <laughs> yeah, that uh, it is actually quite amazing. I mean, I, I've been speaking for just on to twenty years now, and uh, it I, I'm still surprised at how nervous I get. You know, and not all audiences. I, I really do get nervous. And again, the presentation skills program that Beth Ann runs. Um, there is such a wonderful module in there of how to handle nervousness, and it really it comes up tops every time. I think most of us professional speakers can relate to that uh, particular bit of input that you gave. But having just been with you sharing a platform yet again um, last week, you opened with this incredible Zulu song, which for me took so much courage. I couldn't imagine myself doing something like that. But I was in awe in terms of how that audience just bought in, threw themselves behind and into the song. And is that something that you would share as a, as a strategic tip? Uh, you know, one has to be so careful. It is a very, very good technique to use, but you need to read your audience ahead of time. So when I walked in, the, fir the fir my first interaction with the audience, Beth Ann already acknowledged me as, you know, someone who's going to come in to present later. So they had an awareness of me. Uh, so I didn't feel like I had to work too hard. And then I did kind of spend a bit of time chatting and smiling with a number of people. So I got a feel of the room and I realized that they wouldn't be offended if I broke into song. Generally, if you've got an awful female or a majority female African audience and you bring out a song that empowers women like then that really I mean it it makes them fly and by the time they sit down now they want to see what you're all about because they've just had so much fun so it is a technique I use but not with all audiences and again one has to you've got to be so careful you've got to read the audience and by the time you feel safe that it's okay to introduce that thing I would normally do that and you've been lucky enough to speak around the world. So certainly approaches must differ. I mean, I, I would imagine that that approach that you used a week ago wouldn't have worked, say, in Germany, maybe. 
No, sure. I mean, German audiences are so um, formal and um, and they're very factual and, and I would imagine quite left brain. You know, there there's a lot of just get to the point type of, uh, you know, when, when a speaker comes up, they want facts and they want you to get to the point and it must make an... Im- it's not like they don't want engagement, but if you're too gushy and you're too emotional and you smile too much, uh, it, it makes the message fall flat, interestingly enough. Whereas with American audiences, you must be gushy. <laughs> so it's quite amazing, you know. Know, the gushier the better and American audiences like to participate in your presentation so if you, so they feel free to interrupt and throw something in and um, you know kind of it's their way of encouraging you as a speaker and to let you know that you're still on the right track uh, whereas in European audiences you there would be dead silence until the appropriate moment to applause you know, sometimes you look into an audience and, and you can see that people are enjoying it and then you get these people who just sit there and they've got no expression whatsoever. So a number of years ago, I was presenting in Cape Town and there were these two gentlemen. It was a Friday afternoon. Everyone was in casual Friday and they had suits on and ties and I thought, you know, one's perception, they must be so important because they didn't bother with casual day. And they were absolutely deadpan throughout my presentation. I was so bothered by it that I could actually feel my nervousness come back up again after I've said myself into my presentation and um, afterwards they were the only two people who came up to me and gushed and smiled about how they enjoyed the presentation it was just amazing because my perception of what I thought I was looking at was completely different but it's because they I then realized they were from the germ uh, from not the Joe they were from some European office uh, and they had been they were expats so they'd been here for six months and I realized they were just acting authentically <laughs> but um, but it really did bother me and my perception you know your brain goes at six times faster than your mouth when you're speaking so my brain was ticking away at why and am I saying something wrong am I offending my audience members but then it wasn't like that at all. They were just being authentically European. <laughs> and so what else in terms of trade secrets do you have to share in terms of what gets you going and, and doing what you do really well? You know, a bit of humor doesn't um, doesn't disappoint. Uh, again, one has to be careful because, you know, different things work with different audiences. And I, uh, in fact, there, there are some nuggets in my presentations where I know all audiences respond to this, but it's the timing of it. So if I don't deliver it with the right timing, and I'm not, I'm not generally a kind of jokey type of person, but in my presentations, I had to figure out where I can place the humor to diffuse a bit of the seriousness, because my presentation can get quite serious, you know, when you talk about death and risks on a mountain. Um, and sometimes it hits them straight on, and sometimes it doesn't. So when we were, Beth Ann was sharing a platform last week, I used exactly the same phrasing that I would normally use for that particular part of a presentation, and people didn't get it. And it it fell like a lead balloon, and I thought, well, I've been using this for so many years, and I always get a raucous laughter. But then I realized culturally it was different. I was with a group of women who generally work in the rural areas, um, and and just the the kind the the way it was phrased wasn't correct for that audience. Uh, and even though I've had success with that particular phrase for such a long time, I just kind of go, oh, this is going to work for everyone. So it it really is about being able to read the audience. And you know, you you can't get to the point of complacency. What works for one audience is going to work for everyone else. So yeah, there is a bit of that involved as well. And so Beth is a coach. There are things you'd look to enhance in someone's. Uh, approach to presenting so you might have someone who's totally deadpan and 
and really lacks energy and you might coach them to be more energetic. You might find someone who's so serious that, <laughs> you know, their talks turn morbid and, and you might, you know, coach them to be a little more, you know, jovial or lighthearted. That's right. So my question is, where do you draw the line between coaching someone to adapt things that, that could improve their presentation and ultimately not being themselves? Adelia, I think the key is to help them and encourage them to become the best person that they can be rather than trying to become somebody that they're not. So, you know, it's always a good idea to, you know, have some role models looking at different speakers and trying to pull on, you know, what would work for you and wouldn't work for you from other speakers. But ultimately, we need to help people to reach their full potential, but within an area that they still still feel authentic and comfortable. And the good news is, I don't think I've ever had a case where there wasn't lots of room for stretch. So even though there may be an individual that goes, but I'm a financial director, I'm an analytical left brain individual, you know, therefore this is who I am. By the end of the coaching process, I would be delighted if they could see a person that they didn't believe they could actually become and yet still feel comfortable within themselves. And, you know, I don't know if that answers the question. It actually does. And Deshaun, have you experienced that for yourself? Have you have you come into your own, in a sense, as you've become a better speaker, perhaps climb more mountains, <laughs> done more business? Have you come into yourself a little more? I think practice is so essential, Andile, because... Um, I, I'm, I'm not the same presenter I was 20 years ago. Uh, 20 years ago, I came from a speaking background where a lot of the speaking, uh, the teaching, I'm sorry, teaching background where a lot of the teaching approach was that the teacher knows everything and the student needs to learn. So that is a very formal setting. It's a very uh, um, uh, serious setting. And I'm sorry, I, I don't want to make any assumptions about who you are as a person, but certainly the way you come across, that almost sounds to me like that suited you quite well, that sort of very formal, structured approach to communication, right? Oh, yes. I mean, it certainly did. You know, I am a, I am a sort of a reserved person, naturally. Uh, my authentic self is as a reserved person. But if I wanted to make it in the speaking industry, I knew I had to step out of that. And I love the word that Beth Ann uses is to stretch. So even though it didn't feel comfortable at first, I could stretch myself into a broader comfort zone. So my comfort zone used to be that narrow in terms of what I thought I could impart with my audience. And I needed to sort of challenge my personality a bit to step a little bit over the boundaries. And I've done that bit by bit by bit over the years so that now um, I feel so comfortable on stage. I feel so comfortable with big audiences, small audiences, one-on-ones, thousands of people at a time. And also in, in, in different cultures, you know, different parts of the world as well, because that authentic person is still on the inside, so I'm not faking it until I make it, so to speak. It's just practice, 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 and then to pay attention to what works with which audiences. It doesn't mean I always get it right, but it certainly means that I'm a, a far more effective presenter now than I would have been 20 years ago. Well, Deshaun, I personally have seen you evolve tremendously over the last number of years. And the thing that's always hit home to me with you is that you always so well-read or so knowledgeable, so very current and very up-to-date, not just on your topic at hand, but just on broader topics. And I think that in itself must boost your confidence in being able to handle yourself or hold your own in any environment. 
I mean, fortunately, I'm a, an incessantly curious person, and I love knowledge and new information. So I, I do I, I do a lot of research in things that have nothing to do with my work at all, um, just to see how other people think, you know, and what drives their thinking, what drives their values, uh, how they come to the conclusions that they do. It, it's a fascinating area for me because I work in the area of how, how what motivates people ultimately, and because I, I then research such a lot about so many different topics, I actually do have a very broad range that I can draw from. And it does increase one's confidence, you know. Uh, once I was sitting on a, an aeroplane uh, from Cape Town to Joburg, and I was sitting next to a chemical analyst. So I asked her questions about her work, and she couldn't answer me. And she, wa she wanted to know if I'm in the industry. And I said, no, 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 I, I've just read about this stuff, you know. What it also does is when you do meet people and you're going to be at a conference for two or three days, it gives you the, f the confidence and the freedom to speak to anybody. Because now you're not afraid that you might come across as an idiot or you, you'll have nothing to say when they speak to you. or you know. So it really does help. If, if one is going to up your game as a professional speaker, you have got to, as a matter of, as an imperative thing, is to broaden your knowledge about various topics. Well, from being a member of the first South African expedition to Mount Everest to being the very first guest we've had right here on the presentation fix, we'd like to thank you so much for, you know, just pimping our ship. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Andila. It's really been such fun. Thank you very much for having me on. Awesome. But you know what? Before we go, there's a segment that we'd like to induct. I call it your presentation fix because every time I meet Beth, I learn something new about how to improve my communication abilities. And it's definitely something I'd love for us to share every week. You meet so many people. You get to interact with uh, presenters and communicators at various levels in the academic space uh, through institutions like Gibbs, in business, through listed companies, coaching executives directly. It's definitely something I want to be doing on a regular basis is picking your mind. And there's a blog you wrote recently that caught my attention about someone called Julie. And Julie is obviously a code name for someone real. <laughs> but um, there was such a great lesson that came out of that blog, having read it, about how to be a better speaker. Tell us a little bit about Julie and some of the lessons we can all learn from her experience. Yeah, well, Julie was a fascinating case for me to partner with. She is a very accomplished lady from a multinational telecommunications company, and she extends from one of the Franco countries in Africa. And I just mention that because French is obviously her home language. So that in itself would create, or, or she allowed it to create a bit of a stumbling block in her mind in terms of allowing her anxiety levels to build up to such a peak, if I could use Jashan's analogy in this case, that I wouldn't say that she was anxious about presenting. This young lady was debilitated with fear. And this was really a challenging coaching experience for me, I have to admit, because although I identified that she had some loopholes in her content, in the structuring, in her message. I had to weigh up with the short time that we had leading up to her presentation day, whether I was going to put her energy and focus into getting the structure and the content right, or rather that we should focus on trying to get her mindset right. And obviously, I did try and tweak some of the content because she needed to have a solid base, you know, base camp one, as Deshaun would refer to, from which to grow. But 
creating a positive frame of mind or just a self-belief was really the challenge that um, we needed to face and needed to overcome. So how do you prepare to scale Everest with only two weeks to prepare? <laughs> you know, ideally, I wish it was two weeks because, you know, it's not unusual that when people come to me and say, help, um, that very often it's literally within days. And that's what happened with this particular business executive. We literally had days leading up to this conference that was going to be taking place in a five-star hotel with international guests, even their vice president coming from Italy. And I think that was a, a big part of her anxiety is often we take on designations and we go purely because of the designation, you know, we should um, be more anxious about this presentation. And, you know, my feeling on it is regardless of who the people are and what their backgrounds are in the audience, we should be appealing to all of them. And don't let the designation be the thing that sinks us in the end. So ultimately, you know, I needed to help her to know that what she had to say mattered and really believe that. But not only that, but that she really comes from a very competent base. So she has a level of expertise. If she were just to be asked a question across a dinner table, people would sit and listen to her in awe. And it was just a matter of working on her mindset. And honestly, on the day, I, I, I offered no charge in this case because I so wanted this particular individual to have a winning experience to meet her at 6 a.m. at the venue. Not that executives listening to this should get any ideas. Um, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> so, you know, at 6 a.m. there I was with her at the venue and honestly what we were doing was visualization techniques, which I believe most top sportsmen and women from all genres would use. And that is, you know, repeating over and over again, possibly a statement such as, I am an expert on this topic. I am the expert on this topic. Really getting her head and her body language and her facial expressions, you know, just by standing tall, shoulders back, head up. That in itself is a nonverbal cue to the brain that I am confident and ready to face the world. So fast forward now to the end of this talk and was it, was it her boss who actually pointed to you as someone who had, who had walked away with her? She got this amazing applause. The story ends quite well, doesn't it? It actually did end very well and she, she really was excellent. She was outstanding, better than she could ever have imagined that she could be. And it was her boss that then shared with the audience, oh, by the way, Julie's been on a coaching expedition because she was petrified in the lead up to this presentation. And I'd like to introduce you to her coach. So for me, that was like a great spinoff. And, you know, sometimes that's the spinoff of giving, you know, giving back, you know, because I had offered her my time complimentary that particular morning. But what I was a little bit disappointed in for her was that she had shared her fear you know, with her boss and that the boss had, you know, broadcast that to the audience. At least he did it after and not before because, you know, it could have diminished her credibility a lot if he had actually publicized that before she started speaking. So a lot of lessons from this. Obviously, uh, a brave soul uh, who, brave enough to admit that she needed help. Also, a lesson to be learned around believing that you have something to say that matters, regardless of the caliber of the people in the audience. And then finally, just get up and do it, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, the best way of overcoming presentation anxiety is to face the fear. Until you put yourself out there, you can't 
take that first step towards reaching greater heights. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, your presentation fix for episode one of the presentation fix. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your views on the show and anything else you have on your mind, perhaps topics you'd like us to cover, people you'd like us to speak to, perhaps advice that you'd like from the presentation fixer, which is what Beth Ann is affectionately known as in presentation circles. Please give us a shout. Follow us on Twitter directly at Beth Gal, that's at B-E-T-H-G-A-L-V. And of course, check out the website where you can get in touch in multiple other ways on social. And the website, of course, is bethangalvin.co.za. Otherwise, until next time, folks, thank you so much for joining us. And another warm thank you to our guest today, Deshaun Daisel. And of course, Beth Ann Galvin. Yeah, and goodbye from me and looking forward to connecting again in the near future. Cheers. It's okay, Mr. Ellis. I'm just repeating what I said in English. Don't worry.